Welcome into the DuckTerritory.com podcast with Matt Prem and Eric Scopel across the way. Hey, guys. Uh, as we do every week on Mondays, we record this podcast ahead of Willie Taggart's Monday press conference. Um, and if you're listening to us on Facebook, go ahead, drop your questions in. Um, the comment section will throw those in throughout the podcast. If you're listening on the podcast and you want to know how, you can listen to us live. Typically every Monday around 10, 10.30, we, we hop on Facebook and we record this while we're uh, doing a Facebook Live while we're recording. And you just got to go to facebook.com slash Oregon 247, like our page, and then you can join our, our discussion. You can ask questions in the comment section as we're recording, uh, and we'll get to those throughout the show. Um, this is recapping Oregon's 30 or Arizona State's 37 as you know by his predictions if you've been listening I think he did he's, he's having a hard time believing this isn't a dream here yes uh, 37-35 ASU win <laughs> uh, Oregon was a 15 point favorite on the road to open Pac-12 play I had Oregon winning by 30 <laughs> and I was expecting a butt kicking. And we kind of got the complete opposite. Right. It was probably one of the worst games Oregon has had in terms of just execution, oh God. being ready to play, uh, and being able to withstand some adversity really bad. It, yeah. it, it reminded us of last year's season, in my opinion. I, I, I point to three stats, um, just, you know, kind of looking back at the game. I think the, the big one being that Oregon could not convert on third down. 11 tries, only converted one Once. of them. You can't do that. Second one being 14 penalties. Again, you can't do that. Uh, seven of those, I think, went against the offensive line for 50 yards. And five of those were procedural penalties, just like a false start. Um, had an eligible man downfield on Jake Hansen that stopped what would have probably been some sort of scoring drive. Maybe it could have been the deciding factor in terms of points. You don't want to point to one mistake, but... Bill Mitchell caught a first down pass that put the ball at about the 35 yard line. That was negated. Oregon ends up not being able to gain another yard and punts from like their own 43. Um, that, that you, those are mistakes you just simply cannot make. And, and because they weren't able to convert on third and because they made all the penalties, the time of possession is just very, very skewed. I think Arizona State had it for like 39 38 minutes, minutes. And, and Oregon had it for 22. So I, I point to those three things just, just kind of in a broad strokes looking at the game. You can't, not execute on third down. You can't make that many mistakes in terms of penalties, a lot of which are just stupid, you know, brain fart errors. You know, I, I described the, the effort as a turd sandwich, and I kind of stand by that because just it, it, Oregon didn't lose because they were less talented. They lost because they just didn't play well. They yeah. simply did not execute. I walked away from that game, and I wrote a comment about it, a column about that after the game uh, from the press box in Phoenix was that Oregon was the better team. In my eyes, they had better talent, uh, they had the better players, they were quicker, they were faster. Um, Arizona State was just more prepared, and they were able to execute better than Oregon was. And Oregon's 14 penalties uh, for 99 yards were killer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned a couple that were just game-changing. How about you go back to the fact when ASU takes the lead, 37-35, with... I can't remember what it was. Six minutes, I think. You know, a couple minutes left to, to go in the game. And it's like, okay, here we go. Oregon's got about three minutes to play, plenty of time to get down the field and kick a field goal at minimum mm-hmm. to score. And in the second half, 
ASU didn't really stop Oregon all that much offensively. No. Um, and things were going well. And you look at that kickoff. Todd Griffin or Tony Brooks James had a huge return to, I think, almost the 50-yard line. And it got negated because of a holding call that resulted in almost, I think, 30 yards lost. Started at the 16-yard line. So, yeah, about 30-yard loss. I mean, that play was a example of the entire game. Mm-hmm. And that Oregon had an opportunity to only have to drive half the field, pl- plenty of time to milk the clock down to almost nothing, and get and yet still keep yourself in a position to kick a field goal at, at worst, score a touchdown at best, and, and steal one at ASU, walk away 4-0, still ranked in the top 25, which they're not now, right? and, and go into this Cal game. And you know there was holding calls. Um, Jake Hansen said after the game, Oregon's offensive line, and he blamed himself, did a horrible job at communicating. Justin Herbert said it wasn't just the offensive line's part. He was a big key factor in that as well, communication. And he blamed the entire, you know, Her- Herbert said that it was the entire offense that was just off. And, you know, defensively, I wasn't sure what to say about the defense. Did they play good? Did they play bad? Were they good and bad? Because they were on the field for, I think, 96 plays against ASU. And there were chunk in the third quarter. ASU had the ball for ten minutes, and then they had the ball for nine minutes in the other three quarters and change. They were on the field a ton, and so they were going to give up some plays just because they were tired. They were out there so so much, but yet you got some stellar performances. Mm-hmm. I thought Arion yeah. Springs was very good. Mm-hmm. Jalen Jelks was just Ooh. unreal. I mean, he yeah. looked like an NFL defensive end uh, in in that game. But at the same time, you had some weird situations. I thought, I thought they really targeted uh, Carolina Apalu. Once A.J. Hodgkins got knocked out on the first play, they seemed to go at Apalu every time. Uh, and then they, they tested Oregon's freshman corners, and the, the difficult one was the twenty, the, uh, the third and twenty-seven or whatever it was, yeah. and, the, and they ripped one for I think fifty yards on just a chuck. It was just a Hail Mary prayer. And, you know, Oregon's DBs, I think it was Lenore. I think it was Graham, actually. Uh, Graham was in pretty good coverage. But where was the safety? Why was there no safety over the top on a third and 27 play? I, I think Oregon fans are going to be having nightmares of Nikhil Harry going up against probably anyone one-on-one, but especially Diamondville Lenore and Thomas Graham. Well, I actually thought we were in pretty good defensive mm-hmm. position every time. But you've got a guy who's 6'4", 220, basically a power forward boxing out, a point guard. And who's going to win that matchup every time? Yeah, they, were just throwing, they were just throwing jump balls. I mean, that third and 27 was literally, you run as far as you can downfield, I'm going to throw it as high as I can, and you're just going to go up and get it. And he did. And, and you know, just having a safety over there, he probably doesn't throw that ball. Yeah. I mean, if Nick Pickett or Tyree Robinson, whoever's back there, is just in, in position to make him kind of second guess, he might go underneath and it's, you know, maybe a, a five-yard completion, ten-yard completion, and they end up punt. That, that was a huge change. And just going back to the defense as a whole, you said, is it possible they played good and bad? I would agree with that to a certain extent. I mean, they, they played poorly to start the game, gave up 17 points in the first three drives, and then I think stopped them on five straight drives to end the first half, kind of gave the Oregon offense the opportunity, which Oregon offensively did not take oh, advantage of. Oh, they were of, awful. Did not take advantage of. Um, I wrote it in my, my grades for the third straight game. I think the Oregon defense outplayed the Oregon offense, and I, I don't think there would be a lot of argument. If you do disagree, go ahead and make an argument in the comments. Start the second half, the same thing. Oregon gives up two touchdowns to start the half. And then after that, plays pretty good. Holds them to six points over the next seven drives. So I thought Oregon defensively started both halves poorly. 
but actually responded pretty well and gave the offense every opportunity. The issue was that the Oregon offense responds to all those punts and those turnovers with, with like, their own punts. With, with, with their own punts and yeah. their own turnovers. I mean, they, they just did not respond well until it looked like midway through that third quarter there, they kind of started finding a rhythm a little bit. And at that point, it wasn't too late. They got back in the game, but at that they point, they actually took like, the lead. They actually took the lead, but at that point, if you just would have had a little more momentum in the first half, you would have scored another touchdown here, another touchdown there. This game is completely different, and unfortunately, uh, not a stellar day offensively. Execution was very, very poor, just about every facet. The, I, Oregon players after the game, everyone that talked said, "This is on us. This is execution." If it was an offensive player, they were blaming the offense. If it was a defensive player. They're blaming the defense for this loss. And that's what you want to see. You want to see accountability. I talked about it today in the Daily Dose mm-hmm. of the, the the way the guys handled themselves post-game felt different than last year. Last year they were either shocked or you know glazed over of just what, what happened. We're, we lost. And then it eventually morphed into just, oh, here's another loss. Who cares? Type type of feel to it. They didn't. They never said that. But you just got that feel of just when a snowball effect came, right. they just kind of rolled with the punches. This year, they were pissed. Mm-hmm. They were they were they were ticked off. They were frustrated, and they certainly gave ASU the credit that they deserved from head coach down to the players. But everyone said something to the effect of, "We lost this football game." It wasn't necessarily what Arizona State presented, and we couldn't stop. It's we lost because we couldn't execute. And while they didn't say it, I just kind of wonder, maybe this team was just feeling their oats a little bit too much, reading the press clippings a little bit too much, being 3-0, and back in the top 25. Right. They were just coming off an absolute ass-kicking at Wyoming where they made an NFL quarterback look like a CFL guy. Right. And they necessarily didn't overlook ASU, but they, you know, in years past, Oregon could play a C-plus game and still win because they had far superior talent. And I go back to a comment that Taggart made, uh, I think after the, the the Nebraska game, that of we're not good enough to win games with all these penalties, with all these lack of execution plays, all these drops, all these miscommunications. We're not good enough to win games in that order. Uh, we, we won today, but we're not going to win every game if we play like that. And that was a showing of, of what happens when you don't execute, you play sloppy, you're not ready to go at, at, at kickoff. It doesn't matter who in the Pac-12 you're going to play. They could beat you. I, I, I think not to fast forward from Arizona State to Cal too quickly here, and we're not going to do an entire preview on Cal, but just that game is pivotal for this team this season because you mentioned you know they're saying all the right things. Now it's a matter of doing it. Doing it. I mean, if they go out against Cal and they play the same way they played against Arizona State, they may be 3-2, and two, and then does it snowball? Does the doubt start to creep in? Does it feel like, oh, I thought we were different, but maybe we're not? So I think that Cal game, you know, obviously every game, you're going to say this every week, this is the biggest game of the season, but this cannot be minimized. This is a huge game. Cal comes in 3-1, and one, played USC pretty tough at home last week. If Oregon does not show up, and, and especially that, I keep coming back with that third down and the penalties, you cannot win football games converting one out of 11 on third down and committing 14 penalties. You just can't do it. And the fact that Oregon is in position to even win is remarkable, and that just kind of speaks to how bad Arizona State is probably. But I, I, this Cal game is massive here. Um, I'll take a question that kind of ties into it from Rick Riddle here. He, he, he basically says, Ducks is a 16-point favorite against Cal. 
that's going to be the same result. Ducks lose. They think they're something that they're not. Um, we kind of talked about that. Do, do, you, do you get the sense here that that 16-point favorite is too high? Is that I was, unreasonable? I was surprised at that considering, you know, I, I, I mean, it was a much – I was anticipating like a touchdown favorite or something like an 8 or a 9-point favorite yeah. for Oregon. Something where it's clear they're the better team, but it's not going to be a blowout type situation. 16 points to me suggests – this one could get ugly. And maybe it could. I mean, Cal's right. defense, um, while this Cal team has improved, uh, you certainly can say that they're three and one. They gave USC a lot to handle last week at home. They lost that one 30 to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, the USC, the Cal defense is still, you know, one of the worst defenses in the Pac 12 in yards allowed, yards per play. Um, Oregon is continuing to, you know, even after the Arizona State game, they're in the top 25 for both statistics and top and yards allowed and yards per play allowed uh, defensively. They're you know they're creating a lot of tackles for loss. Uh, this is gonna you know I would assume this game's probably gonna be close to being sold out. So it would be probably a hostile environment. It'll be loud. How does Ross Bowers, the quarterback at Cal, at Cal handle that first real big true road test? I know they played at North Carolina, but the game wasn't sold out. It was a morning game. Right. Um. And and. North Carolina, as we've seen now, isn't very good. Um, I don't know. I'm surprised. I, I, I think, and I and I don't think this team is. I won't be picking Oregon to win by 30 probably the rest of the year. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I you know bought in a little you know too early on this team, but you know I definitely think it'll be cl- it'll be closer than a 16 point game. At least right now, I'll take I would take Cal. Yeah, I, I, you kind of touched it right there. Is there a sense of maybe the hype was a little premature for Oregon? Was and I mentioned that on my five takeaways, kind of glossed over it. But is it possible? And I don't, I don't want to say the saying we're back is kind of like how do you measure being back and, and right. whatever. But I feel like there was that sort of sense of like, oh, Oregon football's back. We're we're ranked. We're gonna run over teams. Where you know this is the same kind of Oregon effort and same type of team we've had where. You saw Oregon play for BCS, you know, big BCS games, play for the national championship, win conference titles, win 12 regular season games. I, I, I think there has to be a sense of, okay, pump, pump, pump the brakes a little bit. You know, this team is still coming off a of four and eight season. There's new coaching staff, you know, that's still trying to figure everything out. They're still, you know, emotionally and mentally, you can't kind of resolve all this that quickly. And so I think, and I don't think either of us were like, oh, this team's going to win the title last week. Right. We were saying, oh, they could win maybe eight to ten wins, possibly if things broke right. But I do think that there was a sense that among the fan base that, oh, we're going to they're, they're going to we're going to roll over everybody. And I think, well, I said as much in my prediction. He, and, so maybe Matt did. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe Matt's to blame. He, he was spouting off. But uh, I, I I think yeah, pump the brakes a little bit. This Cal game is huge. If, if Oregon is able to respond and, and beat Cal. I don't care if it's soundly or not, just get a win. That starts some positive momentum going into what will potentially be a, a really tough stretch. And again, this Cal game, if you, if you drop the game to Cal, you look up and that could be like five straight losses really easy. Oh, I mean, easy. It, it's a, it's a murderer's row through October and you do not want to stop, finish the month of September with a home loss against a team that was predicted to finish near the bottom of the Pac-12 North because then you look up and it's, all the all the top teams from both the north and the south basically in a six week period. I think you looked at the at the beginning of the season. You looked at the schedule and you said Southern Utah, ASU, Cal. Those are three games Oregon should win to start the year. 
The Wyoming game, probably a should win, but it's on the roads. It was against it's a, a weird situation. Yeah, a game we thought at the time, Josh Allen, NFL, you know, first round quarterback, level talent. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Oregon drops that one. Maybe. Uh, and then the Nebraska game at the time was, was kind of that coin flip. You know, it could go anyway. 50-50, 60-40, what, right. you know, close comparison. You could easily see Oregon win just as easily as you could have seen Oregon lose. And now Oregon's lost one of those games everyone viewed as, oh, that's going to be a win on the schedule. So now you've got to pick one back up against a team like a Washington State or a Stanford or a Washington or Utah or a UCLA uh, opponents who some, most, a couple thought, yeah, they're probably going to lose more than uh, more games and they'll win among that stretch. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this Cal game so critical because like you said, you can't lose this one and expect to get to get back to a bowl game because after Cal, you've got Stanford, you've got UCLA, then you come home against Utah, you go back on the road against Washington. Where's three wins going to come from that? Right. It, it, it's going to be very difficult to find three wins out of that group. Um, you still got Oregon State. You still got Arizona State, but Arizona or Arizona. Yeah. But this team has shown against that Arizona State. In my eyes, no win is guaranteed. You you've got to be able to come prepared. You've got to be able to execute, and you got to play a clean football game because all these teams have the talent to beat to beat you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't bring it, you're going to lose. Right. Uh, here's a question from, or I guess a comment from Pale Pongi here, and I think this actually ties into something I wanted to talk a little bit about, which is the run game. Herbert's inability to run will hurt us in the future, in my opinion. Teams will load the box and key on Freeman and for, force Herbert to beat them with his feet. He's a very nice kid, but I don't think Taggart's offense will reach its full potential with him at quarterback. He just doesn't have the running threat that Taggart's offense needs. Do you agree with that? I don't that? agree with that. I mean, Oregon's in a strange spot this season because they can't, Run Herbert all that often because if he gets hurt, if you go to practice, Burmeister or Taylor Alley, yeah, who right. do you go to? And at the same time, you've got to be able to get Herbert to run and keep defenses honest with that zone read. And I think he did a good job of that against Arizona State. The, the thing with Arizona State was, look, they stacked the box on first down and made Oregon throw the football, mm-hmm. and what in my opinion, made Oregon's offense stall so much was, I don't know if it was a decision by Herbert or if it was the play calls by Willie Taggart um, or, or what, but I don't know how many times they threw deep, you know, 10 yards or yeah. 15 yards or further on first down, but I don't think they completed one of them. And I mean, the first play of the game was a perfect throw to Brennan's school for he dropped it. 50 yards and drops it. And that puts a huge strain on the offense moving forward because instead of it being a first and a second and seven or a second and four or three. It's second and ten, and you basically almost have to now throw the ball two times uh, to get to that first down. So the, Oregon's inability to run the football, and and my question would be their lack of of trying to run the football mm-hmm. on first down. Because what's the difference between second and nine, second and eleven after a run than? Incomplete. Right. Nothing. It's the, it, it's the same result. If you try to run the ball at least once on first down, maybe Freeman half those times rips off four or five yards, and you get in a much more manageable situation. So I don't think the offense is being limited by Herbert. I mean, he's actually a pretty good athlete. 
I was, I was going to say, I mean, you look at the stats here. Uh, he did run the ball 10 times. Two of those were sacks. Um, basically, he ran it eight times for 45 yards. It's about six yards a run. Did have a rushing touchdown that actually gave them the lead. Uh, is he as dynamic as Marcus Mariota? Absolutely no, not. No, I was expecting But that. he's also, I think, a better passer than a lot of the dual-threat quarterbacks you see out there. I think he's certainly a better passer than Manny Wilkins, even though stats would say otherwise. That was largely due to, and this is something else I wanted to touch upon, the receiving quarter that Arizona State has. Nikhil Harry is an unbelievable talent. Jalen Harvey is a very good slot receiver. Oregon does not have those guys, and I think you really saw them that kind of bite them. You know, Darren Carrington in the offseason, losing him, we knew that was big then. You you kind of saw it come to fruition on Saturday. Losing Charles Nelson to an ankle injury, knew it was big, didn't maybe realize it was this big. That I, I don't have the number because it's not a stat that is officially kept, but I, I think it's close to 10 drops in this game. A lot of balls hitting hands that were catchable. Some of them tough. I mean, Freeman and, and Breland both had what would have been crucial first down completions that bounced off fingertips that were in kind of weird spots, not perfect throws, but a lot of balls hitting hands not ending up, you know, in the chest, ending up on the ground, and that really hurt them. And, and that's one of those things where it is, if Charles Nelson isn't healthy this next weekend, I think it's probably 50-50 at this point. I don't know if, if you've heard otherwise, but I, I assume it's going to be a couple weeks until he's yeah. back maybe. I mean, he was on a scooter at Arizona that's State. That's not and, a good sign. And in a scooter on a, and with a boot on, and that tells you all you need to know, that they're not putting any kind of pressure right. or on that foot. I mean, but the confidence level cannot be great right now with this receiving core. Dylan Mitchell had a pretty good game. John Johnson had a touchdown catch. But other than that, basically zero production from the receiver group. And Jacob Jacob Breland had the biggest catch of the game. It was a 50-yarder. Finally, he has a pretty nice game, four catches, 95 yards. But... I, you need to see someone in that pass catching group step up because they did no, they didn't do Herbert any favors. I didn't think Herbert played his best game. I think once receivers start, start dropping the ball and you start getting a lot of pressure, the offensive line was not good. I thought that was probably the worst game they've played all season by a pretty significant margin. But I think he started kind of getting ahead of himself and he started making some poor decisions and trying to force the ball. And when receivers aren't making plays, as you get frustrated and you kind of saw him try to do too much. I mean, I think that that third down where he tries to roll out and he ends up, rather than throwing it away, he loses three yards. Well, this is then that second-to-last possession. Well, he ends up coming like half a yard short right. on that fourth-down rush. If he doesn't do that and he throws the ball out, maybe he picks it up and Oregon's still driving. Right. But, uh, let's take a, a couple more questions. People are kind of agreeing about um, Herbert needing to run more. Adam Walsh says, we need, really need a dual-threat quarterback. Herbert is good, but he's not clutch. Do we have to keep our hopes up for 2019 quarterback Michael Johnson Jr., or is there someone that we have close to committing? I, I don't think – I mean, it's one loss, and people right. are, are are down on Herbert's running ability. Um, this is also just – you know, it's one game against an, an opponent who runs an exotic defense too. Right. Um, I do agree that Herbert needs to run the football more, but like you said, I 100% agree that Herbert's throwing and his accuracy – there are few people in the conference, few people nationally, who put the ball as well as he does in a spot for his player, his receivers to make plays. It's just they didn't make the plays. Yeah. And that's not his fault. He did his job in getting them the ball in an accurate situation, and they they catch those plays. Oregon scores probably a couple more touchdowns. We're not talking about a loss. We're talking about a win, mm-hmm. and Oregon's 4-0, and we're talking about game day possibly coming to Eugene for Washington State next week. Right. Um so I don't think there's time to freak out about uh, a quarterback and, you know, is Herbert the right fit or not for this offense because his stats weren't as good as as uh, Manny Wilkins at ASU. Right. And like you said, though, 
Wilkins, a lot of his his throws were okay. There's single coverage on the right side with Keneal Harry and a, and a cornerback. I'm just gonna throw the ball up as far as I can throw it and just let him make a play. There's no skill in that. It, it it's literally hiking the ball, doing a three step drop and and throwing it high in the air and, and hoping the receiver makes a play, which. Let's be real. Nikhil Harry is probably the best receiver in the Pac-12, and could make it make a case. He's probably a top five receiver in the country. I, I think he's going to be a first round talent. In, oh, without and a doubt, he's an incredibly, incredibly talented wide receiver. And this actually comes to the, something that you'll probably see. And I, I expect Justin Herbert to continue being the quarterback this year and next year. Oregon is recruiting bodies. I'm not saying they're Nikhil Harry players because I mean they're hard to find guys with his skill set. But Oregon is recruiting guys in a similar mold right now for 2018, and I think. You'll start to see when these guys get the get on the field, and I think they'll play quite a bit early because as we've seen, Oregon's not very deep at wide receiver, not to be too harsh, not all that talented receiver. You're going to start seeing guys similar to that, and that's going to that's going to really help Justin Herbert because right now he basically Johnny Johnson's probably the one guy who you trust to go up and make a tough catch. I mean, out of the whole group, I mean, Dill Mitchell's good. He has, runs good routes, gets open quick with his feet after the catch. I have not seen him go up and beat somebody for a jump ball. I, we have seen John Johnson do that a little bit, but Mitchell did catch that over-shoulder fade in the end zone. Right, that was a good catch, I mean, it, and, and it necessarily wasn't a jump ball pass, you know. But it was back, back it was, shoulder fade. It right. was a money throw by Herbert, but he still had to make a play on the ball with a defender near him. Um, but yeah, I get your point. There's there's not a lot of physicality with this receiving core. No, um, and that was something that I've been I've been preaching about during fall camp was. And, you know, look, this is an instance, too, where, okay, maybe we can't get the run game going, but we can we can swing the pass quick outside to a, to a Nelson or a, a TBJ or, or a Griffin or McNeil on the slot and have two receivers you know, run a screen route and, and get six or seven yards. It's, it's essentially a run play, you know, but it's just bounced to the outside. Well, Oregon's receivers aren't physical enough yet. To, to consistently hold the blocks to allow those screen those screenplays to go forward because you're simply asking a, a Johnny Johnson who's six foot uh, Dylan Mitchell who's six foot one both guys well under two hundred pounds uh, you're asking a Malik Levitt you're you're asking you, or you're putting a tight end out there and everyone knows what's what, coming, what's coming. Um, you don't have those six two those six three those six four receivers like a Dwayne Stanford. Or, uh, Devin Allen. Or Darren Carrington. Or Darren Carrington. Um, or. Not that he was a good blocker. Not that, yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, he had his moments. Right. Um, you know, you, you, the list goes on and on. Um, or even a smaller guy like Keenan Lowe, who necessarily wasn't tall, but that was one tough dude who you knew could get blocks. Oregon doesn't have those guys on this team right now. And, like to your point, they're coming. Warren Thompson is I mean, what six three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miles Battle six is six four, uh, and then you've got Treshawn Harrison and Braden Lindsey who six are kind of slot slot guys. Uh, but you look at the other receivers on the, that they're recruiting: Chase Cota six three. You you've got Devin Williams who's six five. five. Uh, Isaiah Crocker who's six two, almost six three. Um, they're going after size, and that's you know. Critical for Oregon and for next season and their development within the offense. 
Uh, one, I'll, I'll just say one more thing about the receiving core, and then we do have some more questions here in the comments, so stick with us, guys. Uh, I was not expecting it because we watched practice this week, and I did not expect Tony Brooks James to be playing as much slot as he did. I think it fits pretty well. Through three games, he was pretty much a non-factor offensively. We saw him catch a great touchdown, also had 55 yards total receiving on three receptions. I think that's a good role for him right now because he has not been good running the football. I think coming in, he was averaging like two yards a carry. Yeah. Can I Benoit probably becomes the primary running back. Let Royce Freeman, Freeman carry the ball 50 times a game if you need. But I think Tony Brooks James out in space is a good thing. I think you see that with both Taj Griffin and he. And if Brooks James is able to go out there and run routes and make catches in traffic like we saw, that's a huge addition. And I think that's something that I, I'm not sure if you're aware that was coming. I certainly wasn't no, I, watching in practice, but I was... I was I was pretty impressed with his ability out there, and I'll be curious to see if that's something that kind of continues, and if he, uh, I guess, takes a bigger role in the passing game going forward, if, especially if Charles Nelson continues he, to miss time. He had mentioned after the game, I guess, um, the Sunday after Charles Nelson got mm-hmm. hurt, yeah. uh, Pimpleton told him we're going to run a lot of pony, which I guess is the is the the term they used for. TBJ and probably Freeman or Benoit being on the field at the same time, but mm-hmm. Freeman being in the slot. Um, I would, yeah, I would agree. I would anticipate that's going to be much the same. Um, my only question would be early on in the game, uh, first quarter, Taj Griffin ripped off like a 40 yard run on a fly sweep and it was negated by a holding call. Another just shooting yourself in the foot type right. of situation. I don't even think it was a hold that really was necessary, um, to rip off that run. And they never went back to it ever again. Mm-hmm. TBJ is quick, probably the quickest guy on the team. Taj Griffin is just as almost just as quick and faster. Mm-hmm. I was kind of curious why they didn't use him uh, more. You know, he didn't get very many touches. He had one touch for three yards, and I think that was they did run that. Looked like they ran that play. In, in, later on in the game, and it was kind of negated. But yeah, I was surprised he was no more focal point. Uh, Daring McNeil did not play at all. We, by the way, we should mention Jalon Red did make his debut. Had one carry for negative five yards. I, did, I, I think actually had the block on the one on the Royce Freeman play. I think he was out in front on that one. But um, yeah, that slot position kind of went differently than I think we expected. I think we thought we were going to see a lot of Darian McNeil and, and Taj Griffin out there. We ended up seeing a lot of Tony Brooks, James, and Jalon Red. A um, couple questions here, uh, Jeff Comp. Conklin, uh, coming out flat in the first quarter hurt. Who is the motivational coach? They do need to press these kids' buttons at the start of games to come up, come out fired up. Now, I will say, this is the first time we've seen this because Oregon, the first Average 40 three games were game. great in the first half. So it almost felt like they flipped halves. So they kind of like, oh, we'll play our second half yeah. in the first half and our first half in the second half. Um, this also is a road game, and, you know, preparing for a road game, it, it's a little different emotionally. And, I don't disagree at all, by the way. I thought that they played very poorly in the entire first half offensively. Defensively, they kind of settled in in the second quarter. But, um, yeah, I, I think you'll see an improvement on that because you know just from from talking to and listening to Coach Taggart speak that having the juice is, like, number one on his, yeah. on his list. And I think he'd be the first to tell you that they didn't really have that one, especially in that first quarter. And probably really until, like, the kind of when things were dire in the third quarter when they got down 17 points. Um, well, this team isn't also that they don't have a lot of those raw, raw, you know, firing up, you know, dudes that get everyone fired up. You know, Justin Herbert is, if you can get him to show a pulse, <laughs> it, you know, you're, you're in for a good day. I mean, he is so even keeled. He, he doesn't dip or, ha- or climb in his emotions at all. He's so even keeled, but 
just like Marcus Mariota, you know, he's not a raw raw guy. No. Royce Freeman is not a raw raw guy. Um, Tyree Robinson is not a raw raw guy. The only guy I, I think on defense that is 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 probably uh, Troy Dye. Right. And I think Thomas Graham could become that, but he's not in a position yet, in my opinion. You know, we don't know the dynamics of the locker room, uh, but. From an outsider's perspective, he's probably not in a position yet to, you know, start yelling at guys and getting them fired up and telling them what to do. Um, you know, that could come later on in the season, but they don't have those mm-hmm. just, you know, those dudes yeah. who get you fired up that, you know, like Eric Dargan, um, or like a, like a, like a Coleman, um, Buckner. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have those type of a guys to, to get you. The juice is flowing, and you know, who knows if one will emerge. Well, it is one thing, and this was a small thing. Oregon actually elected to receive rather than to kick. I wonder if going forward, because the defense has played better, and they do seem to have a little bit more of that juice, although right. they didn't show it much in this game to start. I wonder if they'll elect to, to kick more and let the defense come out and, and try to show something early rather than receive the ball. Uh, Jeff Conklin also asked what uh, Coach Taggart was. What was Coach? Why was Coach Taggart in Tony Brooks James' face? Uh, that was because he spiked the football and got a 15-yard penalty, which resulted in Arizona State having good field position. I think eventually scoring to yeah. take the lead back. Um, kind of a, I, I hate that about college football, though. A guy, a guy just caught a fantastic play to put celebrates to, to put Oregon in position to potentially win the football game. Celebrates because he's excited, and yet it ends up hurting the team and putting him in a tough spot. I know they know the rules. But I mean, Tony, let let the guy have fun. I don't know. Tony was asked the question afterwards, and he, he admitted, "Yeah, I, I shouldn't have done that. It was a bad decision, but I was just in the heat of the moment. It was a huge play. It was a huge play by me. Yeah, uh, you know, something he mentioned. I've only had one touchdown catch prior to that, and it was just a, a phenomenal play by him. Right, and he just." I, you know, instinctively was just fired up and spiked the ball. For, I mean, you have to also remember this is a guy who was like an all-conference player last year, and he's basically hadn't done anything through three games. It was probably a huge relief for him to go out and make a, a pretty fantastic play, probably offensively maybe the play of the game. That was a great catch in traffic by a running back, and he's excited. And, and I, you know, I understand absolutely Coach Tiger ha- should be angry as a 50-yard penalty, and penalties are something that they <laughs> they did, made a lot of silly mistakes, and that was one of them, but... Man, it's just, it feels, it's unfortunate that a guy makes a great play and is excited in it and it hurts the team in kind of the way it does. Um, Theo Perry says, well, it seems our dream team of recruiters needs to recruit some more rah-rah guys. And I think you'll see that with some of the guys that we've had, you know, the opportunity speaking with. There are some alpha personalities. I look at Isaiah Bolden and Braden Lindsay as two guys yeah. that are, that are pretty, and MJ Cunningham's another guy. I mean, these guys are, are pretty intense. Um, you know, and you kind of see how they interact on social media. And so I, I do think they'll bring in some personalities that'll fit more of that. And obviously I'm not sure Talano how funga how he is if they get him, but yeah. he's a guy that is absolutely physically, you know, he uses, of, he uses he uses that confidence. Yeah. I don't think you need a team full of those guys because we can you can see that backfire. Um but you need just the perfect blend of alpha dogs and then guys that are, you know, not necessarily followers, but you know Guys that fall in line uh, with that mentality, and, and sometimes that brings out their inner, you know, raw rawness, I guess. <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, the psychological part is something that we, is so far down the line of things that they need to fix. Uh, it's not worth going too much over. 
Uh, are there any other questions real quick on, on uh, Facebook? No, there are not. Uh, one thing I did want to touch really quick here uh, was just I thought Adam – I want to give Adam Stack kudos who were critical. Yeah, he had some good punts. Here. He uh, First punt he shanked or was – I couldn't tell if it was shanked or blocked. 19 it. yards. It, it, yeah, it, was it was almost not. blocked, but I'm pretty sure it, it was, was just shanked. a bad punt. After that, he settled in. He ended up averaging 42 yards per punt for the game. Um, had five of his seven punts were actually within the 20-yard. Uh, he, he pegged Arizona State deep. I, I, I want to give – Credit to him because I was critical of how he punted through the first three games. I thought he stepped up and, and played pretty well. I thought the special teams as a whole were, were improved. Uh, didn't you know they, they recovered one muffed punt? They didn't muff any on their end, which has been a problem. They muffed two punts. Although they did give up the onside kick. They did give up the onside kick, which was I don't know. That to was, me that, that tells was, that was that was a bizarre. Time. It's a weird time to be even prepared for an onside well, kick. Well, to me that tells me Arizona State saw something on film, right, and said, hey. We think we can exploit this. And so what they probably did was, let's, if we score our first touchdown, let's kick off like normal, have someone just monitor again, make sure that they, they still haven't corrected it or, or it's still exploitable. And if we score again, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they scored on their second touchdown. Yeah. And that's when they ran it. You know, they, they ran the first one as usual to make sure that Oregon was still doing it. And then, it was open again, and yeah. they, they 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 ran it, and so that that tells me there was a, a chink in Oregon's armor on their kickoff return coverage, and they need to go back and figure out why yeah. and cover that up and prevent it from happening again. I, I I give more credit to Arizona State for recognizing something than for Oregon yeah. kind of missing it because it you know it, it's very unpredictable that a team's going to kick an onside kick up fourteen to nothing like that or fourteen to seven I think it was at that point. Um, Don Kelly says, like I said, utilize our tight ends. I think that was in reference to last week. Yeah. Um, I, I thought they did a better job with Jacob Breland in the game. Um, I, I don't think I have any more in terms of the game recap. We probably should start heading over unless you have. Yeah, I, I think final call, you know, final comments is, uh, about this loss is that, hey, it's one loss and most importantly, it, it doesn't impact Oregon's chances to win the Pac-12 North as, Slim as those were going in right. to this game at ASU and, and as they are coming out of it, uh, Oregon still controls their own destiny in the Pac-12 North, and you don't want to get off on a bad foot like they did at Oregon at Arizona State. But maybe this serves as a wake-up call. Maybe this serves um, as a course correction for this program, and uh, they bounce back. And I think that kind of creates this big intrigue of this Cal game, like you said. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's very critical of winning this one for bowl possibilities because if you win this one, you're, you've got your four wins. You still have the back end, Arizona and Oregon State at home to, to close out the season to, you know, to get you to six. Um, and then it's just, you know, that, that next group of six games uh, against Washington State, Stanford, UCLA, Utah, and Washington. It depends on how many of those you win to what – Quality of a bowl game mm-hmm. uh, you go to. So this this Cal game didn't look like it was going to be was a big say, one. I think look at the schedule going in. I would have said this was probably one of the throwaway games where it's yeah. just kind of like oh, Oregon should win pretty handily. But now you're looking at it and this could be like the biggest game of the year in terms of bowl eligibility. Yeah, and, and just I think that not just bowl eligibility, but just how this team responds, how they practice this week, how they look on the field on Saturday right. will tell us a lot about uh, the makeup of this team. Will tell us a lot about how good of a staff this this Oregon coaching staff is because this is a critical game. Oregon lost a the game they shouldn't have. They're frustrated. They're pissed. They're motivated. 
how do they how do they transfer that energy you know into something positive and and, and flip things around and, and right the ship or does it have a snowball effect like we like we saw last year when right. they you know when they lost a couple games then it just snowballed and you know that before you know it Oregon was out of a bowl eligibility and they were getting blown out in most games so uh, this Cal one has a huge opportunity huge impact for this 2017 season uh, and that's what we like about college football mm-hmm. um, every game is interesting and wh- whether we were expecting it or not uh, that's going to do it for us. Again, uh, every week on Mondays, we do these recap podcasts. Uh, if you're wanting to listen to us live while we do it, just go to facebook.com slash Oregon247, like the page. We usually do it around 10.30 every Monday morning. Uh, we'll do another one Friday around noon, 12.30-ish, uh, previewing uh, the upcoming game against uh, Oregon, who Oregon plays that week. Mm-hmm. This week it's uh, against Cal at home. Uh, go to DuckTerritory.com throughout the week for your pregame coverage, your pre-week coverage of Oregon uh, versus California. And for Eric, I'm Matt Frame. Thanks for listening. Uh, we hope to hear from you guys soon. See you guys.